This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? And his name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to Richmond, Virginia. I'm Major Garrett. Let me pull the microphone over here while I talk to the camera right there. We are in Richmond, Virginia. We're at Mama J's Restaurant. We are outdoors on the sidewalk. We are creating an impromptu streetery today because... A lot of restaurants are trying to figure out how to best handle two obligations, reopening, serving their customers, and trying to do so safely. Our guest is the Virginia Governor, Ralph Northam. Governor, it's great to see you. This is a favorite restaurant of yours, right? It is, Major, and welcome to Richmond, Thank first you. of all. Appreciate you being here. And, yeah, we're at uh, Mama J's, and it's a real staple here in, in Richmond. A lot of people like to come here, good home cook, uh, home home cooking, and uh, so appreciate you being here. Yeah, two white guys eating soul food. Make <laughs> that of it what you will. Um, and as I said, Governor, um, we're outside. Of, this is not a normal part of Mama J's experience, uh, sitting on the sidewalk next to the street. But they said if you're going to be inside, you got to put a mask on. And right. we didn't want to do the show with a mask, so we're Im- improvising. That's right. That's, lo- right. that's what's going on. We're all well, improvising. Are we not trying to figure out where we are with things? Absolutely. And what a year we've had. And we're in a much better place today. But uh, it's been especially tough for our restaurants, po- folks in the hospitality industry. And so we're doing everything that we can to help them get back on their feet. But, uh, yeah, he just started opening up to in- inside dining. And uh, he's, he's uh, made a lot of Lester is his name, Lester, right, the owner? Le- yeah, Lester Johnson. He and I both went to school together at VMI. So I, I know him from way back. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's just cut to the chase on some things that you are going to have to decide upon here in Virginia the next couple of weeks, if not sooner. Will you in any way, shape, or form recommend or impose a mandate for vaccinations and attending school or going to a restaurant or any kind of public gathering? Well, several different issues there, yes. uh, Major, that you brought up. First of all, schools. Uh, we we want to follow the CDC guidelines. I, I'm a physician. I'm not sure if you knew that. I but, did know uh, that, sir. But yep. I get up every day and look at the data, and, and I believe in, in science. So we want to keep our children safe. We want them to be back in the classroom uh, this fall. The CDC has recommended uh, masking uh, for all of our students, and so I, I expect our schools to, to follow that. Regarding vaccinations, we know that's the answer. Uh, masks, social distancing, those 
uh, uh, modifications work. But the key here is that people need to get vaccinated. That's the way we're going to put this in the rearview mirror. So we're, we look at all the options uh, every day and certainly our jurisdiction uh, as governor, uh, I'm in charge of about 100,000 state employees. Mm-hmm. So uh, so I'm looking at that option. Uh, but You're looking at an option to have a mandate for them to come back to work to be vaccinated. We're looking at that. Just either, as the president did for federal work. Absolutely. Either be vaccinated or get tested like once a week to make sure that they're, they're not carrying the virus. What are you still weighing as you think about that? Why not do it right away? We had a guest on our program last week, Dr. Lena Wen, who you might be familiar with. And she said, look, vaccine mandates work. I'm urging everyone to do them yeah. now because that will change behavior and increase the vaccination rate. I agree with her. And we're, uh, again, strongly looking at that. And I'll, I'll make an announcement probably in the next day or so. The next day or so. Very yes. good. Um, right now, as I understand the statistics, 62% of Virginians have received one dose. 54.7% are fully vaccinated. What are you trying to do to increase that number? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I, I look at it also adults. Uh, we have about 73% of our adults now in Virginia have had at least one or, or both doses. So we're looking at, uh, at whether we need to incentivize. As you know, the president uh, uh, has a policy, started with $25, going up to $100. Will per, you do that in Virginia? We're looking at that. To, uh, when you uh, say to, looking at that, what does that mean? Well, that means that we have to talk to our policy folks. We have to you know, talk to our secretary of health. We have to apply for that program. And so a lot of things have to kind of come together or be in place. And so I I suspect that we'll make an announcement on that in the near future as well. So Virginians who haven't been vaccinated might find out in the near too distant future that they get $100 if they show up. That's correct. That's correct. But, uh, you know, the other response to your question, we're we're working with community leaders. Uh, We're working with our faith leaders. We're taking the vaccine to the people. Uh, we've really done uh, everything that we can to get as many shots in arms as we can. Evaluate what what you have had to deal with in the Commonwealth of Virginia when it comes to disinformation about vaccines. You know, this uh, this whole pandemic uh, that started back in March, our first case was on March the 7th of 2020. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, blame our previous president for a lot of the misinformation that's out there, a lot of the politics that's being played, whether people wear a mask or whether they uh, take vaccinations. I mean, he was the one that stood up and said this was going to go away like a miracle that everybody could get a test and just a lot of uh, misinformation that that started back in his administration. And and what a breath of fresh air, what a contrast it is to have a president now who believes in empathy. He he believes in science uh, and he is committed to putting this pandemic in the rearview mirror. So it's been like night and day working with this new administration, President Biden. So there was an announcement from the CDC yesterday. We're recording this, ladies and gentlemen, on August 4th. And it was, in many ways, a big reversal for the White House. Because just the day before, when reporters at the briefing asked Jen Psaki and others with the administration, what can you do about the eviction moratorium? The word from the White House was, we can do nothing. 24 hours later, they said, no, we can do something. And the CDC has a new eviction moratorium that will apply to about 90% of those Americans who might be evicted in the coming days. What's going on in Virginia? How do you evaluate that sort of neck-snapping reversal? What do you think is behind that? Well, you know, the the whole, you know, uh, evolution of this pandemic is every day is a a new day. And and I've told 
my staff, I said we need to be creative and we also need to be flexible. And I suspect they're doing the same thing uh, at the national level. But we've actually done well in Virginia with uh, preventing evictions. And, you know, why is this important? I think that's the first question should be asked. You know, during a pandemic, if people are going to recover from this, they need to have a roof over their head and they need to have access to utilities. So, uh, so we've made that a priority. We've given out probably. Hello. Hey. How are you all? Just fine. How are you? I'm doing great. What's your name, ma'am? I'll be taking care of you all. What's your name again? Neek. Neek, how yes, are sir. you? My I'm name is Major. Great. You know the yeah, governor right. very well. Nice yes, to see nice you. Nice to meet you again. Um, I'll be taking care of you all today. I can get you started with drinks if you actually know what Some you want to eat. Some iced tea would be great for me. Right. Unsweetened, please. We actually have no unsweet today. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> then, <laughs> then, then, I, then I will do what I'm supposed to do and okay. have the sweetened tea. All righty. And for you? Yeah, I'll, I'll have some water. Thank you. All right, I'll get you a water. And are we ready to take our food order? We'll do that in a little bit when you bring back to me. All righty, I'll be back. Very good. Thank you so much, Neek. Um, so we were talking about evictions, yes. and so we've uh, probably used about $310 million uh, in a program to prevent evictions, working with both tenants and landlords, and, and that will continue. And we have a little bit less than a billion dollars still left in that uh, area. And is that so money that the state of Virginia, the Commonwealth of Virginia, received from the American Rescue Plan? No, this is state money. State money, yes. okay. Yes. And so you allocated that, and will you backfill that with federal money? If we need to. Mm-hmm. But like I said, we have about $800 million that are still in the coffers, and so we're encouraging our landlords to work with us. And the reason I asked you about the American Rescue Plan dollars is because that's what the president said. I'm Absolutely. urging state and local governments to accelerate the spending of that. Yeah. What, you're a governor. You talk to other governors. What's the holdup? Well, we've, how, how hard know, is it to spend money? It's <laughs> that's a good question, but um, in Virginia, we I work with the Senate and the House, so it perhaps maybe is a little bit more tedious. But we're we're working through that now. Our our legislature is in town mm-hmm. as we speak, but we're doing a lot of great things with the what we call the ARPA funding, and I I appreciate what the Democrats in Washington and President Biden have done. Uh, we have 4.3 billion dollars that uh, we're allocating right now, and we're having those discussions. And so anything that we can do to help folks recover uh, from COVID-19, like small businesses where we are today at Mama J's. We're putting investment in schools, modernizing our schools, uh, public health, just a lot of different things. That, and, and one other thing I would say, uh, broadband. We, you know, we have recognized, we knew it before, but especially during the pandemic, how important it is to have universal broadband. So we're investing about $700 million of that ARPA funding that will go toward universal broadband. Is there any likelihood... Governor Northam, that you will need to impose a state of emergency because of the Delta variant here in Virginia? I don't anticipate that. And one of the reasons that I don't is because Virginians have been very good following the guidelines. And and overall, Virginians are doing well with the vaccination program. We're going to continue to push that. But I don't expect to get to a point. The, the main reason, Major, that we would need to do something like that is if our hospitals become overburdened, which we're seeing uh, in some other states. But right now we're in a good position. We do have individuals that are in the hospitals on ventilators. And again, the message is people need to get vaccinated. That is the voice of Governor Ralph Northam of the Commonwealth of Virginia. I'm Major Garrett. Stay tuned for segment two of The Takeout in just one second. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. 
Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to our conversation with Virginia Governor Ralph Northam. Governor Northam, right now your positivity rate in the Commonwealth of Virginia is 6%. Seven-day average of cases, about 1,100. They're moving in the wrong direction, but you're not yet, if I hear you correctly, fearful enough where you have to contemplate a state of emergency. But what is the statistical basis upon which things will get even worse? I mean, is it 10%? Is it 12%? What's your number? Well, we look at a lot of different data. Mm-hmm. and um, Is it just cases or is it hospitalizations? How do you work it's, through that? It's really all of the above. I mean, for example, today we had over 1,700 new cases. That's okay. very, very bothersome. And so, you know, thus, well, as I said earlier, the, the, the real, uh, you know, pushed from me and I, I think from uh, businesses in Virginia for folks, they need to get vaccinated because what's going to happen, and I, I can just tell you this as a a doctor, these viruses, as long as there are vectors, as long as there are human beings like you and me that haven't been vaccinated, mm-hmm. they can live. And the way they survive is to mutate. And whether we have the Delta variant now or the Echo or the Foxtrot, I mean, you could go right down the list. We're going to continue to have variants as this virus mutates. It's going to continue to smolder until we can get the majority of the population vaccinated. So that's really what we're going to focus on. And in that regard, Governor, are you preparing here in the Commonwealth to have booster shots available in case that becomes necessary and recommended for certain populations? Well, if and when it becomes necessary, we we will. Um, I, we just had a conference with Dr. Fauci uh, last night, very informative, and, and it's one of the questions we ask, you know, what about booster shots? Because How do you prepare for that? Well, we, we have the supply that we need. Uh, we have the people uh, in place to give those vaccines, and if and when that time is appropriate, we'll, we'll be prepared to do it. Very good. Uh, there are also other issues to discuss. One of them has to do with a fellow governor of yours, yes. Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York. I'll just ask the blunt question, then we'll get to some of the underlying dynamics. Do you believe Governor Cuomo, as President Biden said, should resign? Well, what's happening in, in New York is very, very unfortunate. The, the accusations and what this investigation brought out uh, from these individuals is very troubling. Um, you know, I, I will let the people of New York decide uh, his fate. I think that's the most appropriate thing. I've, I've certainly got enough on my plate in Virginia uh, not to get into New York politics. Is part of your reticence related to what you went through here in Virginia, where many people called for you to resign and you didn't? You stayed in the office and you have rebuilt relationships in the Commonwealth of Virginia with many constituencies. But there were there was a time not too long ago when you were subject to exactly this kind of external pressure. Well, but I would say there's a significant contrast between what he is being alleged to have done and, and what I went through 35 years ago. So it's it's apples and oranges. But uh, but for him... In, in terms of the underlying conduct, point yeah. taken, but in terms of prominent members of your own party saying you need to go or consider going, you didn't. And is that why you're reticent to say the same thing about Governor Cuomo? No, it's just like I said earlier, I've, I've got enough on my plate here in, in Virginia and the people of New York are going to make that decision. And is there anything about that scenario in New York that 
ought to tell us something about the way politics is carried out right now. There is a kind of a conversation going on. Well, if he sticks it out, it means there's no shame left in politics, that you can do whatever you want as long as you say, I'm not leaving. There's not much constituents can do about things like that. You know, uh, Major, these women need to be believed. Uh, they need to, to people to hear their voices. And, and they everybody uh, needs to be able to go to work or just be wherever and be treated right and treated fairly. And so, so that's, you know, what's unfortunate about this. Um, and, again, I'll let the people of New York decide his fate. So... In Virginia, there is a conversation that's going on. I'm sure you're aware of it, and you've talked about it to a certain degree. I want to burrow in on it a little bit. About education, about diversity, and about critical race theory. Mm -hmm. Now, for those who are interested in this program, you might remember we had Dr. Ibram X. Kendi. We had an hour-long conversation about his interpretation of critical race theory. We're not going to get into what that is or isn't. Go back to that episode and listen to it. You'll learn a great deal about it. But it's becoming a very political issue here in Virginia. So... You have said that it's a dog whistle, what Republicans are saying. What do you mean by that, and who's hearing this dog whistle? Well, I think you just hit the nail on the head, uh, and it is a dog whistle. And um, it's a a tactic that the Republicans are using. We obviously have an election, a number of elections here uh, in in Virginia this year for our governor, other statewide electeds, our House of Delegates, all 100 of them. And it's to put fear in people. But here's what's important. Here's what's important, that we have 400-plus years of history in Virginia. This is where democracy started. It's also where enslaved Africans landed on our shores just to the east of here. And it is important that we have accurate information that's provided to our students. That's all we're asking for. Uh, We need to make sure that we learn about each other's cultures because at the end of the day, we, we do need to embrace diversity. It's really diversity that's made Virginia who we are, and we need to be inclusive. So an important part of doing that is to provide accurate uh, education and information to our children, and that's what we're trying to do. But the Republicans have taken that a step farther. I, I can promise you if you ask the majority of them what critical race theory is, they, there'd be a, a, a silence. Uh, but it's a, it's a graduate. Because you don't believe they know what it is? No. They, it's just a talking point that they're using. Again, it's a, a dog whistle, and it's unfortunate. It's, it's, it's a tactic to scare people, but it's not going to work. Virginians are smart, and they know that we're a diverse commonwealth, that we embrace inclusivity, and that's the way we'll move forward. That is not the impression one gets reading about conversations held in public in Loudoun County and Fairfax County about mm-hmm. either critical race theory or gen- transgender policies at the local level. Mm-hmm. Uh, those don't impress you in any way in terms of people feeling aggravated or nervous about this in unusual ways? It's, again, it's a political uh, scheme. Uh, we have elections in, in Virginia, and, and Virginians are smart. Uh, and, and, again, we, we embrace diversity here, and that's the way that we'll move forward with this. And that phrase, dog whistle, look, I spent, Governor, whether you're aware of this or not, about two years on the campaign trail in 2015 and 2016. I went to more than 75 Trump rallies. And people use that phrase then, dog whistles. And I can tell you that when they hear that, two things happen. They feel insulted and they feel energized because they've come to whatever their particular point of view is about a given issue, whether it's critical race theory or something else, trade or immigration. They believe genuinely. And they feel insulted when people in what they would regard as elite echelons of America wag a sort of condescending finger at them. Yeah. 
Do you think there's anything condescending about you describing any concerns about critical race theory as a dog whistle? Well, let me start by saying anger and fear are very strong emotions. I, I get that. I'm a, I'm a neuro- neurologist, so I understand a little bit about psychiatry, and, and I understand their tactics. But, but what we need to do is make sure, Major, that, that people understand we don't teach critical race theory. It's not part of our curriculum. It has nothing to do with K through 12 curriculum. So, again, it's, it's just a, a tactic to, to scare people. For- and they know, and, inclusivity. and the Republicans know, mm-hmm. they know that fear and anger, and, and, and our previous president, he, he was a master at that. Just look at his track record. It's, it's to, to scare people, to make them fearful, to, to really rev up that base, and that's, it's just a, a play on what's, what he did. So critical race theory is not taught uh, virtu- through Virginia schools, and the Virginia Department of Education hasn't inculcated it in any way, but it has emphasized the need for diversity and diversity education. True? Well, it's it's reinforced, I believe, the need for accurate and adequate information that we provide our, our Which uh, currently our doesn't exist in Virginia, from your point of view. Well, if one looks at our textbooks, for example, if one looks at what's being taught to our children, uh, it's, it's not accurate. Uh, and it's not adequate. And so all we're trying to do is, is teach accurate history so that we know where we've been and that we know where we're going. The, the fact that, uh, I'll tell you one thing that's missing, is that, that how black oppression continues to exist in our society today. A lot of people that look like you and me mm-hmm. uh, think that black oppression ended when slavery ended. Well, after slavery ended, we had the Jim Crow era. And then we had massive resistance. And now we have massive incarceration. And then we had police brutality. All of us know what happened in Minneapolis. So, so the fact is that black oppression can exist today. It is alive and well, just in a much different form than it was back during slavery. And so, so those types of things, those are the things that we need to, to teach about our culture so that we understand each other and to realize and recognize that we're all in this together. We're all God's children, and, and we're going to move forward together. That is the voice of Virginia Governor Democrat Ralph Northam. We're at Mama Jay's in Richmond. What a beautiful day it is. We got some wonderful lunch coming. Stay tuned for segment three of the takeout coming up in just one moment. CBS News. This is The Takeout with Major Garrett. We're on the streets of Richmond, Virginia. We came here to talk to the governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam. You mentioned there's an election coming up. How significant? Everyone in Washington, D.C., governor, tells me this is the proxy election for what is or is not going to remain in American politics of Donald Trump's influence on the Republican Party in the national conversation. Agree? I I think that's very accurate. And, you know, there are two gubernatorial elections this year, New Jersey and Virginia. And um, New Jersey's a layover. Yeah. So so the whole game is here. It's competitive. A lot of focus here on Virginia. And and Major, the point I would make is that we have made so much progress uh, in the last few years here in Virginia. Uh, We're the number one state in which to do business two years running. So what we're doing is working. And so it's an important election that we keep a Democrat in the governor's mansion, and, and also that we keep our majority in the House and the Senate. And so uh, we're going to do everything that we can to keep Virginia moving forward. One of the conversations in Washington, Governor, is Democrats nervous about turnout and mobilization and a sense that, well, Trump's gone and we can all sort of breathe easy. 
What is your feeling about level of democratic enthusiasm in Virginia, focus, turnout, et cetera, et cetera? Well, this has been a tough year to campaign, for one thing. We've had COVID, and we, you know, we, we haven't been meeting in, in, in groups. But uh, now that hopefully the pandemic is, is more in the rearview mirror, certainly still a lot of it exists. Uh, we still have to be careful. But I see a lot of energy. I've been out campaigning uh, for uh, Prior Governor McCullough, Terry uh, Mm -hmm. is who I refer to him as, and our other statewide candidates. I've been going to a lot of events for delegates, and there's a lot of enthusiasm. And I think more importantly, there's a lot of appreciation uh, around Virginia for what we've done in the last few years. And again, Virginia is in a much better place than it was eight years ago when Terry and I came into office. He was governor, I was lieutenant governor, and we just have to keep moving in a forward direction. For those in the audience who may not know, in Virginia, you can only run for one term of governor. You can sit one out and then come back, which is what Terry McCollum is doing. It's not typical, it's highly unusual, but he's coming back a second time. And there are those, obviously, uh, Governor Northam, who have said, Terry McAuliffe, is he the face of the current Democratic Party? I mean, he's white, he's old, he's an insider, he's a former uh, close advisor of both Bill and Hillary Clinton, and yet he is narrowly ahead here in Virginia. You expect him to win? I do. Um, and I, I'm, Do you expect it to be close? It will, it will always be close uh, in, in Virginia. Less than uh, three points? Uh, I, I'll say four or five, uh, at least. Um, I won by nine points uh, three and a half years ago. So Virginia has become bluer uh, each year. And, and it's again, it's just because of the, the good things that we've been able to do. And for Republicans who say, hey, in Loudoun County and Fairfax, this critical race theory and the transgender issues could bring us back into power, you say what? I say that the most important thing, if you stopped anybody on the street, is that they have a job that they can support themselves and their families with. That's what they're interested in. So, so they want things like investment in education. We have access to a world-class education in Virginia, both K through 12. We put a lot of emphasis in early childhood education. We've got great colleges and universities that we invest in. We've made tremendous investments in transportation. We've brought more rail uh, and transit into Virginia. Uh, we have offshore wind now. We're moving toward renewable energy. Um, we got rid of the death penalty this past year. So just a lot of really important things have happened in Virginia. And, and as I travel around and listen to people, which I do, uh, they're very pleased with the progress we're making. So, so the things like critical race theory or any other scare tactics that they come, come up with, Virginians are much smarter than that. Something you might regard as a scare tactic, I don't know, but I'll put it before you. Uh, Questions about access to firearms legally in Virginia and abortion itself. There is a comment that is sort of ricocheted around the Internet in conservative circles for quite a while, suggesting that you were for or had some way implied that you were open to infanticide. And President Trump criticized Virginia and you specifically when he was still in office about trying to eviscerate gun rights in Virginia. Address them both, if you will. Yeah, two great issues in in Virginia. First of all, women's reproductive rights. And I've always believed that a a woman, uh, along with her provider, are are well capable of of making decisions. And what had happened prior to uh, Democrats taking over is that really a group of legislators, most of whom are men, by the way, were telling women what they should and shouldn't be doing with their bodies. And so we have stopped that and uh, we've moved forward. Regarding gun violence, uh, terrible issue uh, across this country and and we have taken initiative we we introduced seven common sense pieces of gun legislation uh, last year uh, through our, our democratic majority those were passed and we're in a much better place but we've still got a lot of work to do but there's still 
too many people that have access to guns that shouldn't, and we need to address that. And neither one of those issues do you regard as vulnerabilities, either for Terry McAuliffe in the gubernatorial election or for those seeking re-election to the state senate or House of Delegates? Well, I think, uh, Major, on, on both of them, uh, women are, are well in control of what they should do with their bodies. So uh, that, that's a given. So I think we're in a, a good place there. And, and, I mean, here we are on the street. We're having a peaceful, uh, civil lunch. Uh, people want to be in communities that are safe. They want to be able to go to the movie theater, grocery stores, etc. And so so uh, most Virginians are in line with what we've done with gun safety. Is defund police dead in terms of Democrats talking about how to address violence and police reform? Well, you know, we have just invested more uh, in our state police, uh, given bonuses to our sheriffs and deputies. So anybody that that wants to say that we're defunding police. I mean, we, we want to keep our community safe. And so people that are saying that, i.e. the Republicans right now, are out of touch with reality. They don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. In Democratic circles generally, though, do you think that has gone sort of to the wayside, that idea of addressing police reform with this moniker defund the police? Well, I think it's important to address police reform, especially after what we saw the tragedy in in Minneapolis. And other places as well. Absolutely. And so uh, we want our police uh, interacting with communities. That's what they're doing and and doing a good job. So uh, the answer to your question, I I don't hear a whole lot anymore about defunding the police because it's it's just not realistic. And it stung Democrats in the 2020 election down ballot. There's no question about that. Yes. So Let me ask you a little bit about your own family history, which, as I gather, you learned something about over time, that a long, long time ago, generations past, members of your family owned slaves, true? That's correct. What'd you learn from that? I'm from the eastern shore of Virginia. Uh, Multiple generations of my family on my father's side uh, have been on the shore. I'm certainly not proud of that, but uh, I guess I would look at it as I regret that haven't been the case, but it was. And so I have, uh, in a lot of things I've done, Major, I, I've tried to learn about our history. I've, I've listened. I went on listening tours around Virginia and, and really talked about what I can do as, as governor. I've, I've got the pulpit to work from for, for four years, and, and I think we've, we've really delivered uh, on, on what we promised. And, and really, uh, Major, just addressed a lot of the inequities that exist in our society, uh, whether it be uh, access to to health, whether it be access to education, access to the voting booth. We've addressed all of these issues, so so we've made a lot of progress. And it occurs to me, having read your lengthy interview with the New York Times after the blackface incident, which the yearbook photo surfaced, and you were asked by many Democrats, told by many Democrats to resign, you didn't. You not only went through this education process, but it sounded to me as if you went through a prioritization change, meaning... You had these thoughts before. It's not as if they'd never occurred to you. But what was missing and what you added was a degree of emphasis. It was. And, um, you know, I regret that that happened. Uh, it was hard on Virginia. Um, but I, I was committed uh, to, to listening. Uh, I'm thankful that Virginians have stuck with me. And because of that, uh, we had always focused on inequities. But obviously they were put into stronger focus, if you will, by that incident. And, and I think we've really been able to, to make some good improvements and, and make Virginia a more inclusive, a more welcoming state. And what does that tell you about how leadership actually works? Because everyone has an agenda, but what you did is took something that was maybe item six and made it number one and kept telling everyone over and over again. 
Well, Major, I'm a doctor. Um, I listen to people. I, I get up in the morning wanting to help people, and I, I saw the hurt in people when that happened. And, and, and again, I, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on the road. I'm going to do listening tours. Um, and I have learned a lot. And as I tell people, the more I know, the more I can do. I have the pulpit from which to, to do that. And, and I think we've been able to deliver on our promise. So when we come back, I want to tell you, tell, have you tell the audience in your own words what you learned and what that process was like. Because I do think a lot of white Americans are trying to work through that on their own level, who yes. are not governors. They're just trying to figure it out in their own minds, their own hearts, and their own families. Absolutely. We're with Governor Ralph Northam. We are at Mama Jay's Restaurant in downtown Richmond. I'm Major Gert. Stay tuned for segment four of The Takeout in just one second. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores, including Doc Martens, Ninja Kitchen, and Hotels.com. Prep for summer and save big on beauty, travel, electronics, and more. It's one of Rakuten's biggest cash back events, and it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. For those watching on CBS, then turn around, Neek, and look at the camera and say hi. There you go. She just delivered our lunch here at Mama Jay's in downtown Richmond. Thank you, Neek. Thank you so very much. Fried chicken for me, uh, catfish for the yes. governor. Collard greens. Macaroni and cheese, that's going to be a good lunch. A camera. very healthy lunch. <laughs> yeah, a very lunch healthy lunch, exactly. Um, so, right before we went to break, we were in mid-conversation. Um, not only things you learned, but you didn't think before you learned them that you had much more to learn, did you? I think every day is a new day for all of us. I know, I know. But I mean, and I, and I don't mean to say that in an accusatory way. I do think a lot of white Americans are like... I'm not a bad person. I don't think bad thoughts. I right. I don't have any evil intentions. I'm not any of these bad things. But that doesn't mean there isn't more to learn Absolutely. about these underlying questions and how they influence life in America, both overtly, covertly, subtly, and in harsh ways. Let me explain it to you this way. Please. Um, and this is the way I teach a lot of my medical students and residents. And I, I have a saying that the eyes can't see what the brain doesn't know. Um, and so... This was an experience for me that, uh, that really opened my eyes to a lot of things that I have, had really never paid perhaps enough attention to. And so, as I mentioned earlier, the, the inequities, the, uh, just the way people are treated on the street if they walk down with a, a hoodie on, for example, or their lack of access or not as good access to a, a world-class education system, or, or access to to health care and, and the disparities that we have in, in maternal and fetal medicine. I mean, this, you could go right down the list. And, and so once you listen, and that's what doctors do, that's what I'm trained to do, mm-hmm. then you learn more. And, and as I said earlier, the, the more one knows, the more they can do. And that's really the way this, uh, this process has evolved. And let me uh, ask you about bootstraps as a metaphor, because the America I grew up in was all about bootstraps and yes. pulling them up and yes. and and rearing your, and, and achieving things on your own. And I've read a lot in the last year, uh, African-American literature, like, okay, yes, that's fine. That's a great metaphor. We, we don't quarrel with it. Right. 
But ask yourself, if you don't have the boot or the strap, what are we talking about? Exactly. And I think in, in my case, I mean, I look at my opportunities for education, my opportunities to go to medical school. People helped me through that process. And, and I have worked hard all my life. But, but I had privileges uh, and I had help that perhaps people of color haven't had. And that's, that's probably what I didn't see clearly. Uh, and I see that now. And so that's why I think it's all about opportunity. It's all about equity. Uh, and it's about treating people equally. But you know, in the way this gets translated politically, some people say to acknowledge white privilege is to say you're somehow a, a, a villain mm. or a criminal or you've done something terribly wrong with your life and people don't want to hear that about themselves. Well, I, I think that if we sit down and have a discussion and and that's, I, I think, a position I have as, as a, uh, a white person, a, a white man uh, who's had opportunities. I, I, can, I think I can help other people that look like me understand uh, that there are inequities that we need to address. And, and the more I talk and, and, and go out and listen to people, I, we're able to accomplish that. So I want to change focus for just a little bit because I was driving down here and I heard that in Alexandria, Virginia, they are going to use uh, American Rescue Plan funds to create something akin to a universal basic income. They're going to do a two-year experiment, $500 uh, credit cards or debit cards, essentially, for a certain number of families in Alexandria. Universal Mm -hmm. basic income is a concept. It's being tried in Stockton. It's being tried elsewhere. It was a concept in the 60s that uh, got very great attention. And Pat Moynihan, when he was an advisor to then-President Nixon, Andrew Yang talked about it a great deal. Conceptually. What do you think about that? Are you in favor of it? And do you think that something along those lines might address some of these very underlying inequities you're referring to? Well, I certainly would say it's, it's an option that's on the table, and I, I'm not familiar well, of course with it's it. it's an option on the table. I'm, I'm just wondering what you think about it. I'm not familiar with what they're doing in, in Alexander, but I, I think that we have to look at a, a lot of different things of, of how we can help people, how we can level the playing field, and, and how we can make sure that every American, and in my case, every Virginian, uh, has access that's it's equal to others. That's, that's all I try to do every day. Mm-hmm. So uh, the president, uh, if it weren't for the Delta variant, would be, I think, spending a lot more time talking about what he appears to have achieved, yes. a bipartisan success on infrastructure. Are you in favor of the bill? Do you think it is something that needs to happen? I know Governor, I mean, former Governor Warner, Senator Warner, now Mark Warner, been on the show before, very big part of it. Yeah. What's your attitude about it? Oh, I think it's a great idea, and it's, it is necessary. And, uh, you know, infrastructure is, is what keeps us moving forward. And I, as I said in, in one of the earlier segments, Virginia right now is investing $700 million in broadband. I mean, that's certainly a part of the infrastructure And how is that package. changing people's lives? What, what's going to be different a year from now after, after that money is spent? I would compare universal broadband to what electrification was back in the early 1900s. Um, it's a necessity now in 2021, whether it be for business opportunities, whether it be for virtual learning. Our, our children went through a difficult year when we closed our schools down. Well, virtual learning was okay, but if, if one doesn't have access to the Internet, then their hands are tied. And um, how is this investment, this $700 million, going to change that? It gets us that last mile. and basically, What's what, the last mile? Well, what happens is that we can lay fiber down to get to the majority of people, but especially in rural Virginia, uh, whether it be the eastern shore where I'm from or whether it be out in the mountains in the the southwest, it's very expensive uh, to get access to people that live out in rural Virginia. So this is really a a relationship between the public sector and the private sector uh, to help them uh, because from a business perspective, it doesn't make sense to 
put a lot of money for one family that in this case is a mile off of the the grid if you will so so this again it, it just it levels the playing field and it allows everybody no matter who you are or where you are in virginia to have access to broadband and when will that be done when will that last mile be it's a done? great question major and when i came into office virginia was investing less than four million dollars a year uh, we increased that to 50 million dollars a year this year and next year and now we have the 700 million they told me that experts, if you will, that it would take 10 years back in 2018. I said, no, we can't wait 10 years. So by 2024, everybody in Virginia will have access to broadband. 2024. Yes, sir. Um, One other thing that I want to talk to you about before we say farewell to our audience uh, on radio, the podcast audience, and CBSN will stay with us for the takeout outtake especial. You don't want to miss that. Um, Is... In Virginia, in this coming election, gubernatorial and for the state legislature, what would you tell national Democrats is at stake? And what do you want them to be involved or not involved? Do you want them to sit it out or jump in with lots of money and everything else? Well, we always welcome uh, people's (laughs) involvement. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I would say listen to your constituents. What's at stake here? Well, what's at stake are the things that we have been able to accomplish in the last few years. Because if Republican Glenn Youngkin wins, Republicans will say... Trump is still here and Trump is on the ascent. Well, he's not going to win, so that's, that's not a possibility. We're going to make sure that, that that doesn't happen. But, you know, the investments in education, the investments in renewable energy, the uh, investments in transportation, people, Virginians, they know we've been doing good things, and, and I think they'll continue to support us. That is the voice of Governor Ralph Northam, Democrat, Commonwealth of Virginia, been our special guest for our radio audience. We need to say farewell for those on CBSN and our Takeout Platforms podcast. Stay with us for the Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. We'll see you next week. From CBS News, this is the Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. Governor Ralph Northam is our special guest. Governor, we're here in Richmond, Virginia, Mama J's Soul Food Restaurant. Like I said before, two white guys eating soul food. Yeah, Make of it, that what you will. It looks good, It looks it? very good. It's the only thing that's separating you and me from our lunch is finishing out this conversation. Yes. So this is the lighter form of the show. It's a fun and games part of the show. First thing I want to say is you're an actual major, unlike me, a major in that's name actually, only. You're exactly right. I, I uh, separated you're from the Army. a legitimate major. As a major in the United States Army. So what thank did you, you do in the United States Army? I was a physician and uh, uh, served during Desert Storm. Uh, that started off in January of 1991. You were at lunch to it, were you not? I, I was and took care of wounded soldiers coming out of the conflict. Uh, and I spent a total of eight years in the Army. And in 1992, my wife and I moved back to Norfolk. I started our practice there in pediatric neurology, raised our family, and somehow I got into this political world. Somehow I got yes. into this political world. Every politician <laughs> says that. Somehow I got into this. Po- I have no idea how it happened. You're ambitious. You wanted to do it, right? Well, actually what happened is that Come on. I was very frustrated with health care. Everything that I decision I made, someone had to authorize it. And I was also frustrated. I grew up on the Chesapeake Bay. was literally our backyard, and I had watched the demise of the bay. And so one day I was meeting with our chairman and said, I'm frustrated, Doc. And he said, why don't you do something about it? That was back in 06. And I went home and said, all right, I'll run for Senate. When you are no longer governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia, will you go back to your medical practice? Absolutely. You know, uh, sometime when you're away from something, you you realize how much you missed it. And I'm trained to take care of sick children and their families. And uh, that's what I look forward to going back and doing. I also enjoy teaching. And 
if you were to rank in terms of satisfaction that kind of work against politics, how would you rank them? It's two different worlds, um, but, you know, I, I like to help people. And so the, the fact that we've been able to do some good things, especially our expansion of Medicaid and during this pandemic, uh, now 500,000-plus people have access to health care. So that's just one of the many things that we've been able to accomplish. So I've, I've, I'm, com- I'm comfortable with what we've been able to do as in the political world, but I, I also cherish what I've been able to do to help a lot of children and their families. So in this segment, we ask three questions to every guest. I'll get to those in a second. But when you talked to the New York Times, you talked about things you read in terms of sure. race sensitivity and a documentary you talked about, 13th. Yes. What is that about? I have not. I, I've tried to... That one is new to me, so tell my audience what that is. Yeah, I would recommend everybody uh, to, to watch that. And, and really, it, it talks about the racism that exists in our society today, and especially uh, about black oppression. And that, that, you know, black oppression, a lot of people feel ended with slavery, but that it continued uh, with Jim Crow and massive resistance and massive incarceration. And, and it's still alive well, and well. More to the point, Governor, some Americans form. think it ended when the civil rights legislation was passed in the mid-60s. Yes. And you would say, no, not quite. It's still alive and well. And that's what we really all need to realize. And, and again, uh, we need to make sure that we promote equity. Uh, this is a especially a, a commonwealth where we encourage people to come here. We embrace inclusivity. And so that's been very helpful, that particular documentary, to to put things in perspective. And to those who say no, when you say equity, what you're talking about is equal outcomes and that's socialism or something worse, you would say what? No, I just say that everybody should have the, the, the same opportunities in life. And, and right now they don't. And we, we still have a lot of work to do. So here are the three questions we ask all of our guests because they love the answers because they reveal something about everyone who sits at our microphone. So take these in whatever order you want. Really, it's relaxed. It's not, it's not intense. It's very, very easy. Um, all-time favorite movie, most influential book in your life, and if you're going to drive somewhere in the beautiful Commonwealth of Virginia and you're going to listen to some music you really like, oh yeah, what's that music going to be, artist or genre? Well, I'll answer the last one first, but I I'm, I'm, you know, grew up in, on a farm. I'm from rural Virginia, so country and western, so Alan Jackson. Uh, is probably one of my favorite authors, Travis Tritt. Uh, he, he's good. Uh, Garth Brooks. So anything country and western, uh, I appreciate. Now the movie is interesting, mm-hmm. and I'm going to take a, so. I'm going to take a little bit of a spin. Good. Uh, because now we have Apple and Netflix, and I've what, heard of them. What I'm really enjoying <laughs> right now is Ted Lasso. Yes. Uh, and so um, I'm looking forward this weekend to watching actually maybe second and third episode of this year. But I watched them all from last year, and and what I really like I'm a glasses half full person and and you know so is Jason Sudeikis his yeah, character yeah and I, I love it because uh, whatever happens he he takes the positive side of it and I, I think more of us need to listen to that and, and follow that lesson and there's cynical people all around him and they just don't get him down and there's something yeah. about that that's caught on with people oh people love it I know people in my family uh, and especially me I, I really enjoy it so that's you know I, I'll Again, I'll spin off your movie and, and, and talk about Ted That's Lasso. That's certainly acceptable. And then as far as books, I think something that, that everybody should read, especially from the South and, and what we're going through now, uh, is To Kill a Mockingbird. That's a very, very powerful Harper message. Harper Lee. Yeah. So, so those are my choices. Excellent. Governor Northam, it's been a great pleasure. <laughs> You as well. Thanks. We have a great lunch. Let's yeah. get to the lunch. Again, thanks to our host restaurant, Mama Jay's, and Luther Johnson is the owner, right? Lester Johnson. Lester Johnson. Yes. Forgive me. Lester Johnson. Yes. It's been great to be here. I'm thankful for them for setting us up outside. They don't have a seating arrangement outside except when we came into town. 
but we're adapting. We're dealing with yes. the, the, the pandemic, keeping the business open, doing everything best we can. Governor Northam, it's been a pleasure. As well for me. So Stay thank in touch. you. Yes, Thanks, sir. everyone. We'll see you next thank week. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Zoe Poindexter, and Jake Rosen. CBSN production by Eric Susanen, Grace Seekers, and Daniel Peebles. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS Audio. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.